Morning, church. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Very excited to be with you this morning. We, uh, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting for the first time or checking it out online, whether in person or online, we're glad you want to be a part of what God's doing on this mountain. He's moving in some amazing ways and lives are being changed. And uh, why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? It's amazing to me how people can look at the very same thing and come to two very different conclusions. We can look at the same facts, the same information, and arrive at two different perspectives. It seems like perspectives are getting more and more polarized, opposite ends of the spectrum. Issues like masks or no masks, vaccine or no vaccine, political candidates. It seems like we're getting farther and farther apart. It's interesting. We can look at the same thing and, and see two completely different solutions. Uh, I want you to look at this picture right now. In this picture, I want to know, what do you see? Do you see a duck? Or do you see a rabbit? See, this actually tells a lot about you. It, if you're like me and you see a duck, well, that means you've got a brilliant IQ, just genius. And if you saw a rabbit, well, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't know what it means. But the point is we can look at something and see two different things. When it was, the year was 2015 when the picture of a dress became a viral phenomenon. Dramatic pause. In 2015, in 2015, the picture of a dress became an internet um, sensation, just uh, took over the internet. Do you remember it was this dress when you would look at it some people would saw it was purple and, uh, or blue and black, and others would look at it and say the dress was white and gold. Do you remember this dress? And then I remember thinking, man, this, this dress is clearly this, and thought people were just messing, saying they saw something different. But, but they really do. We really see this differently. What we're talking about in the scriptures today in Luke chapter 8 is a parable of Jesus in which people can see quite differently. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 4. We read, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is oftentimes called the parable of the sower. And a parable was simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus came to to teach about the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, for people who wanted to be a part of that kingdom, what living should look, what life should look like, how we should live, and what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And Jesus, you know, none of us that I know of have, have been to the kingdom of heaven in this lifetime that we remember. So, so we, we need Jesus to explain it to us. And so a parable is where Jesus is telling us a story of things we understand with things that we don't to teach us, things we don't understand. It's, I have three sons. My, my youngest son is five years old, Zechariah. We call him Z. And Z loves to play baseball. And now he's my youngest, my third one, that I should have known better. When he wanted to play baseball, I made a rookie mistake, a rookie mistake. I went and tried to explain the rules of baseball to a five-year-old. I mean, just, just imagine, if, you've, if you had to describe the rules or in, give the instructions for baseball, what, what it would sound like. You know, maybe it'd be like something like this. Baseball is a game played by two teams. One out, the other in. The one that's in sends players out one at a time to see if they can get in before they get out. If they get out before they get in, they come in. But it doesn't count. If they get in before they get out, it does count. When the ones out get three outs from the ones in before they get in without being out, the team that's out comes in and the team in goes out to get those going in out before they get in without being out. When both teams have been in and out nine times, the game is over. The, the team with the most in without being out before coming in wins, unless the ones in are equal. In that case, the last ones in go out to, get, uh, out to get the ones in out before they get in without being out. The game will end when each team has the same number of ins out, but one team has more in without being out before coming in. Yeah, I, I tried doing that with a five-year-old. Rookie mistake. And when you hear parable, the word parable... Think comparable. 
that Jesus is taking, taking some heavenly truth and making it comparable to things we understand, to an explanation we, we can grasp and follow. And so Jesus tells this parable. And this parable must have had a big impact on the disciples and the early followers of Jesus because it's in all three synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke, synoptic meaning similar. That it's in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell this parable. There's only two other parables that, do, that are in all three. But yet, in all three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of the three parables, this parable is always first. It had an impact. It's a parable of parables. It helps us in understanding. We understand so much because of what Jesus is saying here, because this is kind of the key to unlocking and understanding that some people, the parable conceals. For others, it reveals that not everyone who gets it is going to get it. A lot of times, this parable of the sower has been applied to evangelism and that there are going to be people. And in evangelism, we just mean telling others the good news about Jesus. And there are going to be people that hear, hear the word of God and they reject it, flat out reject it, while others will accept it. And I agree with that, but remember how we can look at the same thing and see two different things. I believe Jesus was teaching kingdom people how to be a part of the kingdom, how to live like they are in the kingdom. And so I believe there's more application than just evangelism. I believe all of us can see we are one of these soils. The application is for us to see what kind of soil we are. And so if you don't catch anything, if you only get one thing, I, I hope you know this, that kingdom people produce kingdom fruit. And we all need to wrestle with this question. What is my dirt? Tell me your dirt. What's your dirt? You are one of these four. The first we see is the seed that fell on the path. The seed is the word of God. It falls on the path, and the seed on the path, it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't even have a chance to bear fruit because it can't get in. It's completely rejected from the get-go. I want to tell the story of a man named Frank, and Frank's not his real name, but you can imagine if you grew up in a small country church, Frank was there every Sunday. And Frank, well, Frank was just frankly one of those guys you didn't want to be around. He was grouchy. He was grumpy. Well, while others would look for a silver lining, he was always pointing out the cloud. He never had a smile, never smiled at all, and if he did, barely get a grin, manage a grin, it was usually at someone's expense. I heard the story one day, a deacon asked Frank, Frank, are you happy? Frank paused and reflected and said, yeah. The deacon said, well, tell your face about it. <laughs> Frank was one of those people that just zapped the energy and fun out of the room. Frank was there every Sunday. Frank, because of his personality, his heart, he couldn't love his wife well. He didn't have a relationship with his grown-up children, his family. No, nobody really had a close relationship with Frank. 
That, that Frank was closed off, but yet he was there at church every Sunday. And, and looking back, I, I think, why in the world weren't we surprised that Frank wasn't changing? Why weren't we surprised? If anything, we expected Frank to stay the same. Day after day, month after month, year after year, we knew Frank would be grouchy and we never expected it to change. I mean, we had expectations for Frank, right? The church leaders didn't call an emergency meeting and say, hey guys, we got to figure out what's going on here. Frank's not changing. They didn't bring in a church consultant and then discuss this phenomenon with Frank who's not changing even though he's here constantly. No, our expectations were, well, Frank would attend service regularly. He would read his Bible. He would give to the church financially. But we didn't expect Frank to become more like Jesus. You see, people that know Jesus change. Knowing Jesus changes you. It's what they noticed about the disciples, that they were just ordinary, unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. That knowing Jesus should change us. But yet there are people, some of us, who, who we come week after week. We hear sermon after sermon. But never allow the word of God to change us. You see, God's word, it's not just for information, it's for transformation. James tells us to make sure we're doers of the word, not hearers only. We've got to be sure that we are allowing the seed room in our life to grow and that we are allowing him to change us. It's like a parent telling a child to go clean their room and the child goes to the room, but then just hangs out. When the parent comes up and sees their room's not clean, is the parent going to be happy? No, they're going to be livid. You, well, I went to my room. Yeah, you, you went, but what I tell you, you go and clean your room, right? You didn't clean your room. See, partial obedience is still disobedience. If parents are happy, how do we think that will please our Father in heaven? The seed on the path never has a chance to grow because it never gets in. But notice what happens to the seed on the path. The seed on the path, the birds come in and the birds take it away. Birds were used as a symbol for, for evil. When we, we look at this, we see the, the, the evil one snatches the seed, the word of God from their life because he knows if he can get the word of God out of our life that he's won. That's all he has to do. There's a reason the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And every single one of us has an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy God's word in our life. That's the seed on the path. But now there's the seed that falls on rocky soil. And the rocky soil is is different from the seed on the path. The seed on the path doesn't penetrate and have a chance to grow. The rocky soil actually starts out promising. It starts to grow and it looks good. But then 
when the sun comes out, it's scorched and it withers away because there's no moisture. It starts out so exciting to see it grow. And I wonder if any of us are like that, that we're excited about Jesus, that when we heard the gospel, the good news that he, he died and was buried and resurrected and that we have chance, we have hope of heaven, the confidence of, of him because of him. But yet somewhere along the line, when the hard times come, we throw in the towel, we quit running our race. You see, Jesus' people have more than a feeling. The gospel is emotional. There's no way about it that it, it has changed the world because it is so powerful, so emotional. You know, two, over two billion people claim to be Christian. That, that There is power in the gospel, but it is more than just an emotional experience. Our roots have to go deeper. God's word has to go deeper in our lives than just an emotional experience. We need more than a feeling if we expect to last during the hard trials of life. But the rocky soil falls short when it's time for times of temptation and trials, and life will do that. You, you know, the farming techniques are, are, are so different today. The, the farming techniques now, we, we plow the ground first, and then we plant. Well, in, the, in Jesus' day, they, they, did it back, they did it the other way. They, they s sowed the seed, and then they plowed. And so that's why a farmer would be generous with the seed, sowing the seed, because he wanted a generous harvest. And so that's how it would land on the different soils. And, and the, the seed, uh, when he would sow it, it was more like a sprinkler action. We would like plop and drop. They would sow like this. All right, but now when we garden today in our gardens, we use rototiller, right? And we, we, we dig up the dirt, right? And we look down and we see rocks. We get rid of the rocks, right? And then we, we plant the seed. That's not how they did it in their day. They did it differently. But, but we can still understand how seed doesn't always land on good soil. Have you ever noticed you take the rocks out and it seems like no time at all, you go back and there's more rocks? See, rocks tend to rise. Rocks tend to rise. They're the, the hard spots in our heart. The hard spots that block out what God is wanting to do and how God is wanting to work. The hard spots that, that don't receive the seed. These rocks tend to rise over time, and they have to be dealt with again and again. Rocks like resentment, bitterness. Withholding forgiveness, guilt, shame. These rocks continue to tenderize, and we have to deal with them. It's important that we live out the truth of God, that we allow God's word to remind us if we're struggling with guilt and shame over what we've done, that we understand there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that he forgives our sin, and he remembers it no more. That God has truly forgiven us. We need to live in that truth and cling to his word and get rid of the rocks. The rocks will rise and have to be dealt with again and again. And his word is the only way we can do that. But then there's another type of soil. 
There's the seed on the path, the seed in the, on the rocky soil. Then there's the seed with the thorns, the, the soil with the weeds. And you see, one of two things is going to happen. One of two things is going to happen with the word of, your God, uh, of word of God in your life. Either God's word is going to drive sin out of your life, or sin will drive God's word out of your life. One of those two things is going to happen. And, and notice the thorns here. That the thorns, it chokes, the weeds choke the seed. Have you ever choked, and I mean really choked? I, I don't just mean coughing a little bit, but really choked. I, I want you to imagine you're at lunch today. And imagine you're sitting there eating and you get choked. You start choking. You're not going to sit there and just pull out your phone and scroll through my email, look at some news articles, social media. No, if you're choking, you're going to pay attention to your choking, right? It takes your focus. You see, this is what I believe Jesus is saying with this soil, that the weeds can tend to choke out God's word. That our focus gets diverted from being on God, from being on God's word and his kingdom. That our, our, our hearts are divided. We have a divided mind. And look, he gives three different areas for, for this. Cares, the riches, and pleasures of life. We have divided minds by the cares of this world where we, we focus on things that we know are just this world, but they're things that matter to us. They take our attention. And when we can't seem to resolve it, we worry about it, and we worry about it, and worry about it. And worry, does it change anything? No. Does it make us feel good about it? No. But we continue to do it, right? You see, it's choking the seed out of our life. That when you're choking, all of your attention is there. That's all you can see. Every moment that we spend filled with worry and anxiety is a moment that we are feeding the beast that is going to choke us out. So the cares of this world can choke out our faith. But also, he says, riches. Now, it, in Matthew and Mark, when, when they quote Jesus of saying this, they say the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of riches. How, how can riches be deceitful? I, I believe riches are, are quite deceitful in this. The more riches one has, the more one will tend to believe they are in control. That riches will give the illusion of power, control. All of us in this room, we're rich by the world's standards. All of us in this room are rich by the world's standards. I mean, some of us have cars in here, right? That makes you rich. And some of us don't just have one car, a car. We have cars, plural, more than one. We're rich. And some of us, we, we even have a house for our cars. We call it a garage. But we can't park our cars in the garage because we've got so much stuff, so much riches, right? 
We're rich. Well, well, how much is rich? Or how much is too rich? I don't think there's a number that I can throw out. But we need to be careful of the deceit of riches whenever that number gets to a point that we begin to trust our bank account rather than God. Whatever number that is, where you look and you think, I got a pad, I got a cushion, I'm going to be okay. Instead of trusting God for his provision and his care and his protection, watch out, that is the deceit of riches. The deceitfulness of riches also is how we spend money, or spend the riches. We, we will try to portray an image, protect an image, that we'll try to keep up with the Joneses and get the latest and greatest, and not because we need it, but because we have an image to maintain. See, the deceitfulness of riches will, will cause us to forget where our identity is found. Friends, our identity is found no other place than in Christ. That at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what titles we have, it doesn't matter what accomplishments we've made, at the end of the day, we are adopted, adopted child of God. I am an adopted child of God in Christ. That is where my identity is found. Riches won't do that. Riches will tell me it's something else. My identity needs to be found in Christ. The pleasures of life. You know, these things, they're not bad things. These are things that, that God can use and bless us with, but they can, instead of being a blessing, be a curse. When they take our attention away from God, when it chokes our faith out. You notice the, the seed with the thorns, though, what does he say about it in verse 14? That their fruit does not mature. What does it mean for fruit to be mature? We know something is mature when it has the ability to reproduce. It has the ability to reproduce means it's mature. That your fruit and my fruit should have the ability to reproduce. That means we're bearing fruit. And that when, when we go to work, we're not just going to work. We're going to bear fruit at work, that our boss will see it and our co-workers will see it, those around us will see it, students, your teacher should see it, your principal should see it, everyone we come into contact with, our coaches should see it, All, everyone that we know should see the fruit and it should have an impact on them, it should make a difference and reproduce, that's what good fruit does, but that never happens with the seed among the thorns. But finally, we get to the good soil, and this is where, where it takes root, and it does bear fruit with patience. Now, this good soil, when Jesus would have said that, the Jesus' audience would have known, would have picked up at what he was hinting at, that he says a hundredfold. Farmers in that day, 15% was a good increase, was a good harvest. A hundredfold was just unheard of. But that's the point Jesus is making. I believe that's what he wanted. There's only one other time that hundredfold is used 
in the Old Testament. One time it's used in the Old Testament is in Genesis 26. And that is what Jesus would have been hinting at with his audience. They would have read that and they would have known Jesus was talking about Genesis 26, 12, where it says, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. There's no way you're going to get a hundredfold unless God is in it. Now, Isaac still played a part. He still had to plant, right? He still had to tend the soil. But God's the one who gave the increase. And that's the point, I think, here, is that if we are going to bear fruit, if we are going to be good soil, man, we have to remain connected to Jesus. There's no way around it. John 15, he is the vine. We are the branches. That we produce fruit, but what? We can only do that if we're connected to the vine, if we're connected to him. Apart from him, Jesus is clear, you can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. But connected with him, we can bear fruit, fruit that matures and reproduces. John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You want to be a Jesus follower? You want to be a Jesus person? Then you're going to bear kingdom fruit. You're going to produce because you're connected to Jesus. There's no way around it. He's going to use us. But this calls for patience and endurance. It doesn't come quickly. You know, I've, it's like the saying that the Christianity, our Christian walk, our, our walk with Christ it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Patience and endurance. So, let's be good soil. I want to challenge you in three ways to tend to the soil of your soul this week. Number one, get in the Word. Get in the Word. Listen to James 1.21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He's given us the word to change us, to receive it, to let it take root and bear fruit. Get in the word. There's no other way to bear fruit and to be good soil than to get in the word and receive the seed. But then second, check your dirt. Are there rocks that need attention? Do you have some thorns, some weeds growing that need to be pulled? Check your dirt. And then the third challenge would be, let's bear some fruit. Oh, man. Let's bear some fruit. There's some good soil here. Real good soil. I mean real good soil. I can't wait to see what a hundredfold harvest looks like. There's some good soil down this hall in the his kids area. God's producing some really good fruit. Don't you want to be a part of that? Man. Nobody can do it alone. Bear some fruit by getting in a community group. Get plugged in. Get connected. Get serving in a ministry. 
bear some fruit for his glory. You know, this imagery of, of, being, of God's word being seed and taking root and growing and producing fruit is all throughout the Bible. It's amazing. I, I love the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 is praying a prayer for the church and, and that he, he prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they would just somehow, that God would give them the ability to comprehend his love for them that is beyond comprehension. To comprehend the, the depth and the height and the breadth, the width of God's love in Christ, that nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing, neither, neither here in the present nor in the future, heaven or hell, angels or demons, nothing in all of creation can, can, can separate us from the love that is found in Christ. And Paul is praying this prayer for the church. And he says, now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, than all we can think. He is able to do more, far more than what we can even comprehend. To him be glory in the church and through Christ Jesus our Lord forever and ever. Amen. Church, let that be your prayer. Bear some fruit and see what he can do with it. Father, that's our heart's cry this morning. Let your word take root that we might bear fruit that the world will see, not us, but you. May you be glorified by every life represented here and everything that we say and do. May it be to honor you in Jesus' name and all the church says amen.